everybody. Welcome back to the Get What To Do podcast. My name is Brandy Douglas. I am here today with uh, the, probably the biggest group of folks that I've had the pleasure of talking to, um, and obviously the most important. I'm here with some student activists today. Specifically, I know we're going to talk a lot about um, Here To Stay, which is an amazing um, organization within the, that these folks work with, and I will stop rambling on so you can meet them, but have Carla Medell. Maria Latino Sonato, David Trinidad, Ana Alcantar, Alcantar. I, I can't I can't cuss right now, but I would because I messed up your name. Then Sienna Kasky. If you don't cuss, that's fine too. I, I don't care. I am super appreciative of the five of you taking time um, to connect with me today. And I want to give the floor to you all to give a better introduction of yourselves than I just did, starting with Carla. Okay. Uh, hi, everyone. Again, my name is Carla Medel. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am a fourth-year student at OSU, also the president of Here to Stay. Thank you, Carla. Maria? Um, <clears throat> I'm Maria Lachino Sonato. My pronouns are they, she, or ella and ella. Um, I'm a fourth-year student majoring in chemistry and minoring in math and Spanish. Um, I've been part of Here to Stay since my first year, um, and I have been the secretary for Here to Stay um, for the past two years. Thanks, Maria. David. Hey, Brandy. Thank you for having us here today. Um, so my name is David Trinidad. I am a first-year graduate student in the College Student Services Administration Program, and I am actually the graduate teaching assistant for the Dreaming Beyond Borders Resource Center, which works directly with Here to Stay. Um, and if we talk about that, I'll kind of explain a little bit more about, about that, but I'm glad to be here today. You're you're in grad school now? Oh my I'm God, so old. Y'all, yeah. you don't understand. I've known David since his first year at Oregon State through camp. And so, yeah, I was not ready for you to introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, thanks, David. Yeah. Anna? Hi everyone, my name is Ana Alcantar. I am currently a third year student at OSU studying public health. My pronouns are she, hers, and I currently hold the vice president position for here to stay. And last but not least, Sienna. Hey y'all, I'm Sienna. I use they and she pronouns. Um, I've been with here to stay since my freshman year at OSU. Um, I'm an ethnic studies student with a minor in writing, and I'm really happy to be here and be in conversation with you all. Yes, um, I do want to name that we were going to have one other participant with us, so shout out definitely to, to Cynthia um, for wanting to be a part of the conversation too, and um, I'm glad to have the five of you with me today. So we're going to go ahead and get started, get into these questions, and the first question I have is, you know, I want you to share more about your work, and that, that includes Here to Stay, but if, if there are other pieces that you want to share um, as student activists and organizers, and how, why did you decide to get involved? Um, you all, like I said, don't have to answer each question. Whomever would like to speak first. I can go first. Um, so I joined Here to Stay my first year at OSU as well. I was introduced to Here to Stay by Priscilla, who is Here to Stay's founder, 
and Juan who came to talk to uh, ethnic studies class that both Sienna and I were part of. So off of that presentation that they gave in class, I went to their little meetings that they were having at the time. And then from there, the club just got bigger and bigger. Um, personally, I have family members who are DACA and are undocumented. So kind of being in community with other people who were dealing with similar things was really nice to be around. So that's kind of how I got into here to stay and what motivated me to be a part of the um, great group of people. Carla, could you talk a little bit more about what here to stay is for folks who are listening who have no idea? Yeah. So Here to Stay is a student-ran club at OSU directly advocating for students of all sorts of different immigration statuses, so DACA, undocumented, um, asylum, like all sorts of different things. We just want to provide community on campus and also advocate for different resources on campus, as well as within the larger community, which we have started to do within the past few years. Thank you so much. Other thoughts about you know, why they got involved? Yeah, I can jump in there. Um, yeah, like Carla said, we were in um, Marta Maldonado's um, like ethnic studies um, class. And when Juan and Priscilla came into our class talking about um, here to stay in this club they were starting, I remember sitting behind Carla and we're like, oh, are you gonna go to that? Oh, I think I'm gonna go to that. And then um, we were meeting in the Student Experience Center. And ever since then, it was um, really like my community on campus. Um, when I talk about um, like my people, I think about here to stay and the folks within it, like, like y'all are my family. And I think it's because of the organizing and activism that we have done on campus that I'm so grateful for because I always say like, I'm not just organizing with other organizers, like I'm organizing with my family and people that like I care deeply about. And I think um, that's what makes this work, uh, fighting for immigrant rights um, much more like livelier and I have more gratitude to it because of who I'm doing it with. Um, and I think I, just, I stuck with here to stay because like y'all are my people and um, fighting for immigrant rights is um, a kind of central point to who I am. and trying to give back to where I come from and continue fighting for um, the next generation. So I came here to stay. I'm deeply in like, deep gratitude to this organization and the people within it. David, were you gonna add to that? Yeah, well, I was saying though, uh, Carla um, described here to stay very um, well, I think. Uh, but I kind of want to tie into uh, what the Dream Beyond Borders Research Center is as well, because um, the DBB Center, as we call it, an abbreviation, um, came from um, students activating from here to state to kind of get that. And that's kind of more the administrative part of um, of this uh, community. Um, they do um, have uh, scholarship opportunities. They do have uh, kind of that sense of community as well. Um, and they just kind of help students if they need any specific help on like financial aid, um, if they have specific questions about um, DACA renewals or any other information about, you know, the um, immigration statuses, uh, we could help them in that aspect as well. Um, so luckily, we they also are under uh, the educational opportunities program, so they do get some funding from there. Um, but yeah, we do have those opportunities for um, students to come talk to us. Um, and whenever we do have those students, we also like to connect them with here to stay, uh, because um, of course we want them 
I want them to feel comfortable, want them to have that sense of community. Um, but yeah, here to stay created that um, that resource through their activism. So um, that's something that here to stay did really well. Thank you for that. Um, I want to move us on a little bit, only because I feel like this will help continue our conversations. To ask about how you all describe student activism at OSU, Anna, how would you describe? I think what I've seen, like by being in this club, is that we try to hold the school accountable. So like the president of the school will say this, and then our job is to make sure that he follows through and like um, just adding more to what they need. Like the school will say something and we kind of look, okay, what are they missing? Who isn't included? And we work to um, try and make that like all inclusive. So like even with the pandemic, there was like funds that were given to students, but DACA wasn't included. So I think we from there like started crafting um, demands and like ways that we can change that. So I think it's, it's just big on accountability for what the school like the image that they hold for themselves. Thank you for sharing that. Do you feel like some of that pieces have been have been met? yet or we're still you know we still in accountability mode and that's fine I think it's a process like part of it yeah just because we have started like having the talks about it and having meetings for it but there's still more we can do there's always more to do there's always more you're absolutely right yeah what do you have to add or do you have anything to add? um yeah I think that um I mean like Anna described it perfectly in like the bigger picture kind of sense, but I also want to add that um, at least like for me, I also work at the Seoul LGBT Multicultural Support Network. So some of my work there is kind of holding myself accountable as well as like other folks in our spaces to be like, um, to like not use harmful language or to like keep everyone safe and keep like, um, even though like we want to express negative feelings because we're going through a really rough time, mm -hmm. also keeping in mind like the safety of others. Um, so yeah, so like holding others accountable too, as well as like a bigger picture. Yeah, I like the thought about the fact that not only are we holding others accountable in this, in this big picture structural way, right? We're also talking about holding ourselves accountable and how difficult <laughs> that can be at times, right? To hold yourself accountable, I think I don't, it's not easy to hold others accountable. Truly, specifically, the work that you all do is, is definitely not easy to hold an administration or a university or institution, right, accountable. It's I don't know. Is it is it harder to hold yourself accountable than it is to hold an institution accountable? <laughs> That's a difficult question. Um... And I almost, I think it, you approach it in different ways. Um, holding the institution accountable, you need, I guess, actually, let me reframe this. Um, to hold yourself accountable and the institution accountable, you need people power um, and you need community that helps you get to where you want to be and gets the institution to where you think it can be. Um, and so I think it is more difficult to hold yourself accountable because there's so much like shadow work and unlearning that you have to do when um, you're holding yourself accountable to be better. Um, and when you're holding an institution accountable, there's more um, camaraderie 
and people backing you up. And it, it's more like you can remove yourself from the institution, but you can't really remove yourself from yourself. So, but I think that processes are similar. I, I like the thought about people power and being a community. We're gonna get to that in a, in a bit, seeing that's the second time you've mentioned the community piece. So I really wanna to touch in on that. Um, but I, I'm still kind of wanting to dig into this thought around student activism, student organizers, and holding a university accountable. How has that changed your perspective of just being a college student? I think for me, when I thought about college and going, well, I'm also a first generation student. So when I thought college and being in college, I thought like I was just going to be doing school. Like I didn't think anything else was going to happen outside of that. But when I got to campus, like, and I met Priscilla and Juan, everything switched. And I think that if I was just doing school, I would be so bored. Yeah. I feel like doing this kind of makes the experience something greater. And if I, I think like now reflecting on my four years at OSU and seeing like everything that I've been a part of, like I gave a presentation um, for here to stay for some camp students earlier last week or two weeks ago. And I was like describing everything that we have done. And I was like, wow, it's crazy. Cause like my name is pretty much tagged to all of that. And I think like other student activists um, can like reflect back and see things similarly to how we do. I think it's really cool. We live in a legacy. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, I think of like, right now we just have the Dreaming Beyond Borders Center that we created, but like, I one day I hope to see a center like the Sasset Chavez Center, or the Black Cultural Center, mm -hmm. the Asian Pacific Cultural Center. And so it's cool kind of to think that like those students were doing work that we're doing now too. So it's gonna be something that goes on forever. Yeah, and to add to that, I feel like as a student, you know, first year students kind of the, it's your, your time to kind of see like what college is about and so on. And you also get to see those um, situations or those things that need to change within the university setting. Um, there's in the system, you know, there's things that aren't basically geared towards you. So you want to, you know, create that change within um, your time here at OSU or just in university in general. Um, as an organizer, you get to see those um, problems that could be fixed. Um, and it's just basically create, about creating, you know, a better future for future students, you know. You want to provide those um, resources, opportunities for students to have. You know, we got to see some things that were missing. So we hope, you know, as future students come in, they can take advantage of those and even add to those, as um, Carla said, about creating a bigger center, for example, or creating more opportunities, scholarships. So it's just a really great way to kind of um, see um, how we could change um, the the university and um, have that community sense as well. Yeah, and, and it's good that you all are thinking thinking about it in this way. And it's not to say that most activists don't, but I do feel sometimes we live in a moment of, of change and not really thinking about how, I, I tell this to specific student activists all the time of how, um, how do you create institutional memory? You know, um, how do you do that in a way that, you know, four years, after all of you have graduated, there's still a here to stay organization, still dreaming beyond borders, and there's there's um, more than that, right? They're they're in the centers that, that Carla had mentioned. They are 
um, part of the, the fabric of the university in a, in a way that hasn't been before. That's institutional memory, and it takes a it takes a lot <laughs> takes a lot of people power to do. Um, but there's also a piece around you know bringing first year students in. That's the reason I asked this question about your perspective as a college student. And maybe it's because I'm thinking about me and my old age and when I was in college and having to deal with um, with racism, uh, institutional racism from my university in that moment of grief of like, oh, this ain't going to be, I said, this is where I want you to go. But this ain't going to be <laughs> where, what this is going to be like and having, figure, and having to reconcile with that. And if, like maybe your reconciliation is um, being activists and being organizers. Um, and maybe not, or maybe you're just like, this is, this has helped me um, enhance my perspective of the university and not change it to where it's like, oh, well, this is not what I signed up for. I don't know. That's, not, that's the reason why I asked that it's such a, it takes such a toll on you all to, to do the, the accountability work, right? And, and yet you're still in it. Um, that says a lot about, about you and your and maybe that says a lot about the community piece that Sienna was talking about. So let me stop rambling and ask that question about coalition building and, and maintaining through activism. How does that happen? Um, and can those coalitions continue to thrive and be in solidarity with each other? Is that where the community and family piece comes from? I think, yeah, going off of that idea that we want to have activism here at the school for ourselves it's like this is also the place where we can you go on social media and you see such big problems that you can't go over there and solve on yourself like there's just no way to do that so starting here at the school starting with our community and if like we can build that coalition if we can have that community here um, we also have the hope that there's other schools that have that same thing. And so once you have multiple like little communities, it does create one big one, you know? So um, I think that's what helps maintaining it is that I'm doing the work here and I'm hoping that someone else is doing the work over there. And so that's why I stay in this community. Sometimes I feel like a broken record because I'm always saying like every movement, you need coalition, you need coalition building, you need people power, you need that support. And everything that Anna just said is, is so key, like starting small. So the ripples, the ripple effect happens. Um, and like that has happened. I mean, Carla can speak more to like other institutions reaching out. Um, like, how do you, how'd you set up this? how did you set up DBB? How did you set up here to stay or high school students or middle school students even? Um, and so like that ripple effect is, is touching other generations too. Um, and I think coalition, it starts with trust, which takes a lot of time. Um, and like, I can honestly say like, I trust these folks with my life. <laughs> um, and it, it, they even show up in my dreams saving me. So it's like um, that coalition is, it has, you have to have trust and you have to have honesty. Um, I remember when we were writing the Dreaming Beyond Borders proposal and we were all sitting in this room and like trusting each other that, okay, this is what I think should happen. And then, you know, having that difficult conversation of intention of being like, okay, well, we I don't think we can achieve that, but what can we achieve? 
and having those really difficult conversations that actually build and grow things like Dreaming Beyond Borders Recenter and building that trust and growing that honesty and trust. So I think coalition is everything. Coalition is are the seeds, in my opinion, um, that can actually grow the future that we want to be in. Anyone else want to add to that? can add to that a little bit. I was just going to say that I don't think here to stay would be where it is right now if we didn't have like the faculty and staff who has helped us out, the community organizations like Surge and Racer and the CMLC, like all of us getting together and putting things together to better our community is what has made us go along so far. So yeah, it's really important to build coalition with others. Let me ask a, in the same vein around coalitions, because I see coalitions in the way that you're naming it around folks um, from institutions, different groups, getting together, connecting, supporting. What about coalitions that may have a different uh, systemic issue from you? And that coalition building to where you're supporting each other. I think of it like with Black Lives Matter supporting um, the water protectors, things like that. That the, in uh, surface level, maybe not seem like that's the same issue, but <laughs> beneath that, there is some. You know, it's rooted in in um, in racism, and, and specifically with with indigenous friends, it's a, it's rooted in uh, a continuation of colonialism, and so. How, what are those coalitions look like? Do they exist? And if so, how, how to keep, how do you keep those thriving? I think um, for me, I've always like put out this idea that everyone's like all sorts of people are immigrants. So the um, relationship between like the Black Lives Matter movement or the LGBTQ um, movement, like it's all, tied to us and so we do have to build coalition within all sorts of different groups and support their causes because they are our causes like we're all in it together and so within I feel like we were just getting going on starting to build some sort of support with the different cultural centers when um, coronavirus hit. <laughs> so like our last event on campus was a collaborative event event between Here to Stay and all the different cultural centers. And so that was like us starting to get something going. And I hope that once we come back to campus, because it's a little bit easier that way, that that will keep on going. Dang, coronavirus. Yes, that's great <laughs> that that's starting to, to happen. I feel like that's the piece that, um, that, that, again gives that institutional memory when you have uh you have uh, comrades by your side being able to, to to be in solidarity with you who may not always come to the uh dreaming beyond borders center but will come to an event um may not always be able to come to a here to stay meeting but is ready to you know to ride or die with you whatever, whatever you need them you know it's just 
that 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 uh, coalition building is rare. And I think personally, when that happens, when strong coalition building like that happens, it scares white establishment specifically, and that's fun. But you should always try to do that. Yes, I did say that on this podcast. You should always try to scare white establishment. Um, I have one question that I didn't ask you, I didn't put in the group, but hearing this, I'm really curious. So you all are close to graduating, <laughs> the majority of you. I think you all said third, fourth year. David's at least got another. Uh, how do you hope to showcase the skills and experiences of being student organizers once you get your degree? Have you thought about that? Maria, I haven't heard from you in a bit, and then Anna, I'll get to you. I want to I hear what you think. Yeah, so I guess, like, my journey of trying to figure out what I want to do for, like, a career or whatnot has been really weird and, like, twisty and turny, but um, I came to OSU to, like, study chemistry because that's kind of, like, what I really liked, like, that one particular class in high school, but I wasn't really sure, like, what I wanted to do. Um, and I feel like, um, I feel like my work within chemistry or I feel like my work within like being a student activist has been more meaningful than like being a chemistry student. Mm -hmm. Um, and also because of like my experiences, I feel that like I would be more useful as an academic counselor for like, um, black indigenous and students of color. Um, specifically like in STEM because I felt very unsupported mm. being like a um, cutie pock in STEM and I want to be like I had a, a counselor in EOP who unfortunately moved away and she was the um, faculty advisor for here to stay um, and I feel like she had these kind of like connections for me and was able to give me like a lot of help. And I want to be kind of like that same person to be like, oh, you need help in this. Like, let me like send you this email or something like that. Um, Cause it's been really hard. And yeah. I just want to like make it easier for other folks like in future generations. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, I'm glad to hear that you had someone helping you navigate through that. Anna? Yeah, I was going to say, I changed my major from pharmacy to public health. Um, That's yeah. a switch. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's been, like, probably one of the best decisions I made. And, like, being inspired by this club, what I hope to do with my major is exactly what I'm doing now. It's, like, being in a cohort and then working towards helping others. Like, how do we plan free clinics, like, free medical clinics? Um, how can I help people with their insurance? And then so kind of just like continue addressing all the like social disparities that we see. And so I feel like this is really important because hopefully it'll just get bigger from here on out, you know, like for a whole community um, rather than just like at OSU. That's great. I want to hear from everybody on this one. It's probably one of the few I actually want to hear your thoughts on. Not to say I didn't want to hear your thoughts on everything. You know what I'm trying to say. I'm the stop talk. 
Uh, I can go next. So I'm studying psychology right now, but I am hoping to get into graduate school for counseling. And then after that, I do want to be a juvenile or children's counselor. Um, this kind of came into mind because I'm from Eastern Oregon and in my town, there's one like specific that like there, what they study is children and juveniles. There's one therapist in my city and they're a white man. And so it's like, who is gonna feel comfortable going to a therapist like that when there's nothing that they know about your experiences? So that is my goal to be a therapist of color, a Latina therapist who people feel comfortable coming to because hopefully I relate to them a little bit more than the white man with the office across from mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sienna, David, David. I guess I could go next, unless Sienna really wants to go, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, I, as you can see, I think there's a common theme of, you know, wanting to help by the community, um, specifically, you mm -hmm. know, prioritized communities. So similar to me too, you know, um, I decided to go into graduate school because um, throughout my time in undergrad, I got to see, you know, um, some of the resources that were provided to those students of color here at OSU and also talking to other friends that also went to other universities and colleges those um, resources that are lacking there as well. Um, so I kind of got to compare and contrast, see what's missing and what I got as a student. And um, uh, with that, I want to be uh, either an academic counselor or working with student support programs um, at a community college or university setting just to um, provide those resources, provide those opportunities for those students. Um, there's many communities, especially um, in Eastern Oregon that don't have as much resources, unfortunately, because they are those smaller towns. Um, so, you know, for me wanting to go back there, I think that would be a good way for me to kind of help those communities in getting those resources, um, seeing what I learned here and kind of applying those. So, of course, helping the student populations from my minoritized communities, specifically from uh, the Latinx um, communities, because in Eastern Oregon, there is a lot of those uh, um, individuals there. Okay. Yeah, um, when I think about this question, I think about this quote from Alice Walker, who says, um, the, or activism is the rent I pay to live on this earth. Mm -hmm. um, and all throughout my life, I've always been really obsessed um, or have a really deep love for like creating change and trying to help other people. Um, and right now I'm, you know, I'm working in publishing because I really love books and like this creation of knowledge and disseminating knowledge. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to continue with that, but I know that like my purpose and my practice right now is like, I'm an abolitionist. I am a transformative justice, leaning into transformative justice practitioner. Like I'm leaning into these different things and um, my craft is writing. And so I'm trying to incorporate all of these things into something bigger and larger than me. Um, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but I know that like my dream, my dr oh, the train is going by. <laughs> Probably get here soon. <laughs> um, my dream is just to help others and really transform the way that we um, view harm and mm -hmm. how we trans like transform the way um, that we incarcerate and like and harm others. And so that's really what I'm thinking about and writing about right now, because the way that we're doing it right now isn't good <laughs> to say the least. And, but yeah. 
it's very inspiring that all of you want to to do continue the work, continue the work just within the communities that are going to be outside of or somewhat inside of you. Hopefully, like David Maria, when y'all are done, senior degrees, or can say just hire you, <laughs> you continue the work here. Um, or if you're ready to venture out to other places, then continue to work there. The fact that you want to continue <clears throat> um, is is good to hear. It's really good to hear. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of. I want to ask another question for this anti-racism question. But I think I'm ready. I think we're ready. So I brought this question, like I said, with to you all earlier, with every single. Um, guest I've had, and it's because it's new. It's a, it's a new term that the university is trying to figure out. And I, you know, having, we have um, Ibrahim Kendi coming to, uh, to this quote unquote, he'll be doing a virtual speaking with us next month. And so I want to know, like, what does an anti-racist institution look like to you? Specifically, what does an anti-racist Oregon State look like to you? And in the work that you currently do, um, how do you help create an anti-racist institution? I love this. Y'all can't see this obviously podcast, but I have so many smiles across looking at me like, who's going to go first? <laughs> I'm not going to call on anyone. I can, I think it first starts with knowledge, like spreading knowledge about all the different issues that we have going on in our communities at Oregon State. And then from there, not only saying like, we stand with you, but making actions, making moves to prove that you stand with us and providing us the tools and resources that we need to be successful. Um, I think, yeah, this term is going around a lot and it's interesting to see everybody's like different takes on what it means. I think for here to stay, it's like doing things even though it's hard and uncomfortable sometimes. Um, even if you hurt like someone's feelings because they feel uncomfortable with it, but like explaining yourself and why you see things like a certain way. Um, kind of my take on it. Uh, yeah, for me, an anti-racist um, institution looks like basically, um, again, like we talked about throughout this podcast, you know, activism, um, wanting to create that change, um, you know, being able to go to the, I guess, the higher ups within universities and colleges and, you know, letting them know, you know, th these are the issues we're having right now. This is what we want to change. Um, what can we do about it? What can you do about it? Because we don't want to stand for this no more. You know, just because of the pre previous um, presidential um, administration, um, that I feel like did spark some more, um, I guess you could say, institutionalized uh, discrimination and racism. Uh, so, with that, you know, we want to make sure, you know, we want to continue that fight for um, equitable and inclusive um, departments, resources, and opportunities at, in the university setting. Uh, so that's kind of how I would see anti-racist um, institutions. I guess how I would define it. Yeah, I think what I 
think about thing is just like also being open to change and instead of being like oh we can't do this because policy says so it's like okay well who created the policy you did so you can change it like you're not tied to this policy just because you've been with it for so long so kind of like valuing tradition but understanding that there comes a time where it just doesn't apply anymore and like being open to that because again there's different circumstances and so I mean yeah just being open to change and being willing to bring out action yeah yeah when I read this question I was like ah how do I answer this question um because you know right now I am on the university's anti-racist curriculum task force um, and so right now we're really looking at how do we develop anti-racist education? And I think when I, like, uh, when I think about an anti-racist institution, I don't even think about the institution. I think about the education, um, because I think for me, the history of Oregon state is deeply rooted in colonialism, like every single institution, um, in the United States. And so when I first think about anti-racist institution, I'm like, okay, land back. <laughs> we got to re-envision this whole college setting, this whole building setting. Like, and I don't know if I've actually developed deep enough thought about that or like how to do that. Cause I'm really just sinking into the history and the, and my own feelings about that. Um, but I really think about anti-racist education because I think that is where it starts. And I think that's where some of other folks are here are saying, because People need to learn first in order to become and develop anti-racist practices. Um, and in my conversations with engineering students specifically, um, they were saying how they had an ethnic studies professor come and he gave them this whole layout of like the history of racism in the United States, but they didn't know how to apply it to engineering. They were like, we wanna know how to put anti-racism into practice. And so I'm thinking like, okay, anti-racist education at Oregon State, where do I start? And so like right now I am trying to create um, this subcommittee where it's made up of students and we can actually have the dialogue and actually start to strategize and build anti-racist education in every single college at OSU. And that's very big. And I get excited like, okay, yeah, we're gonna do this um, because I really think it can be done. Like students on campus want to learn this. They want to know the history and they want to know how to be better. And um, I think that's really beautiful because there's this will and like this little light inside people on campus that want to learn and be better. And I think that's really beautiful um, because I think when people have the will to be anti-racist and actually look at themselves first and put and learn and put these ideas into practice, I think that's actually how an anti-racist institution can be built. And I think that that will take years and generations to actually have an anti-racist institution, but it does start with knowledge, it starts with education, and it starts with really diff having difficult conversations and sticking with it. Um, it's not like, you know, the student that gets defensive about, um, the examining white identity <laughs> um, retreat. Like, yeah, we're gonna sit and talk about why you got defensive. <laughs> like, we're gonna sit and talk about it. And you know, there's other people 
um, that can have that conversation and others people that can't. And so I think there's this, this fine line and it's not even a binary, it's like this circle in a way. And we're gonna, we're gonna sit in a circle and we're gonna learn and we're gonna work together because growth is the biggest part of learning anti-racism, I think. Yes, that's all I'm saying, yes. Maria, do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, that's really hard to follow up, Sienna, but I'll try. <laughs> you got this, you got this. Um, I guess like what I was thinking, um, when I think of being like anti-racist and kind of like how to like change this, like this everything, I think of just kind of like dismantling it and getting like rid of these institutions, getting rid of like settler colonialism, white supremacy, but that's kind of like a very big dream. Um, and like, like everybody else said, it's gonna take like years and the baby steps to even get there. Um, yeah, and like how's everybody else is saying, like it starts with knowledge, but also like, unlearning the biases and unlearning the like incorrect history basically um yeah that's like that's all i had to add yeah all of you thank you one for answering, for answering such a such a tough question um i i agree <laughs> there's nothing i would say like oh no you should never do that uh, but what I'm sitting with is the fact that we all know it's going to take more than just an academic year. And I appreciate that one. I appreciate that being named. And two, it brings me right back to the point I had made earlier about institutional memory, right? Um, and not only holding a university accountable, uh, institution accountable, but holding ourselves accountable. So maybe now with, within a year, Sienna and the and the that task force may not like have a full curriculum set. <laughs> she I can't repeat what she said, but she said no. Uh, but can we at least have uh, conversations with ourselves, with our community, how we can be anti-racist? How is those? How are those conversations? How would those conversations look at uh, the Dreaming Beyond Border Center? How would those conversations look with here to stay? How would those conversations look in OID? Um, while they may look different, the, ho the hope is that their conversations happen, right? Um, and as somebody who does dialogue continuously uh, for this campus, um, that those would be wonderful dialogues to actually see happen. And I say that knowing I may end up giving myself more work, but that's fine. It's fine. I'm here for it. Um, the other piece that I think I will name, which I've named in other episodes, is that vulnerability is a huge part of any growth. I think the growth piece Sienna was mentioning, being vulnerable is, is heavy in that. And you all as students are vulnerable all the time, <clears throat> period. Like you, you had to show some vulnerability to be able to say, we need, we need this organization, we need this center. It takes strength and vulnerability. And the, so the vulnerability is not, I say that I'm not saying that for students to get more, I'm actually saying for university leadership to start being vulnerable. It takes, it, uh, how did I put it to another colleague? Uh, it, takes a, it takes a lot of strength to say like the, the policy I thought would be inclusive 
ain't shit. <laughs> and I got to sit with that for a minute <laughs> because I thought I was helping. Right. Um, and then being able to take themselves out of that policy creation to help create a new policy. So we don't get that a lot from, and not just this university leadership, any, like it's a rare thing to see vulnerability at that higher level. Um, and I don't know what that's about, but I do think it'd be a really interesting start to, to be able to have the, the conversations and the dialogues and the, the moving the needle forward that needs to happen, not only with just anti-racism, um, but uh, all the policy and social justice concerns that we have. Anti-racism is really just one of many, right? So that would be the only thing I'd add to everything that you all so amazingly said. So, yeah, we only have a few minutes left. So I'm very glad we got a chance to have a conversation with y'all. I feel like I've been tongue-tied this entire time, but it's only because you all are probably the most amazing guests I've had on the show. So, I don't know why you look shocked. You all do fantastic work. Um, and I am very thankful that you all want to do that work, that you all put your, put your, your stories, your experiences, your backgrounds, your building a community, and you want it to see it continue. And you're doing those steps to do that. That takes a tremendous amount of energy, tremendous amount of energy. And then you're going to go off into these other communities and do the same thing? Like, y'all, you have no idea how, if you don't know how amazing you are, but you should. You're absolutely amazing. And I'm very happy that you decided to talk to me today. And that's all I have. I don't know if any of you have any other things before I tell our our audience goodbye a little promo follow us on social media where we'll be updating like our spring term meeting hours so anyone who wants to join please feel welcome to come you don't need background experience just join on zoom hopefully in person soon yes yes i will make sure that's a part of our promo i will name which is transparency viewers uh, this podcast is being recorded on March 1st, but it won't be out until probably like March 8th or 15th. So note that, <laughs> but you'll still get the information in time for spring term. <laughs> so we'll have it there with you. I want to thank my amazing guests. Thank you so much again for taking time with me. Um, I appreciate hearing from you. You've given me a lot to think about. You could have talked for another hour, promise. <laughs> and I want to thank viewers for listening. We, uh, this By the time you hear this podcast, it will be the last one for this term, for winter term. And so uh, we'll be back next term with three more guests. And then, well, we'll see what happens after that, won't we? <laughs> Until then, take care of yourselves and each other. 